All right. So Colossians chapter three, starting in verse 12, the title of our lesson tonight is dress out. When I was a kid in gym class, we had to wear, and this is in the seventies, John's, I mean, John Stockton, the shortest short shorts that you have ever seen. It, it, it wouldn't pass any test today of any fingertip test. No way. But we were exposed to those indignities day after day after day at Ocean Township High School. And, and off we went. But that was called, maybe it's still called that. I don't know. It was called dressing out. You need to dress out for gym class. Unless you have a note, you've got to dress out for gym class. And to, to be ready, because if you dress out, that means that you are ready for action and you will participate fully in what we've got going on. The reason I bring that up is that this section of scripture follows a section where um, the bad cop preached on Sunday. And as, uh, as he did preach, he, he talked about what it is that we need to take off and what, what is kind of that dishonorable garb that we might wear that, that is sloughed off when we're in Christ. But... Once something has been taken off, what is it then now that we put on? And, and this is how we are to dress. This is our, our dressing out that is now described by Paul. So here we go. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule, even back then, uh, meant to be an umpire. You know, flag on the play. If there's no peace in your heart, time to figure out what's going on. Let the peace of Christ umpire in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This little section here, 12 on down to 17, you probably hear echoes of it in what we read just a little while ago when we studied out the book of Ephesians. As a matter of fact, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 1 and 2 are very similar to verses 12 and 13 that we have here. Uh, later on in Ephesians, as you make your way down into the end of chapter 4 and into 5, you see some of the, the subject matter that we see here. And as we get down into 5, around 5, 17, 18, that seems to have so many parallels with what we see in verses 16 and 17. So it's an interesting thing to go look at. And by the way, uh, as you kind of have now studied and read these books, the theory is, by most folks, is that since... Paul was already sending a letter to Philemon on the, on the part of Onesimus. And since uh, he was sending it to the, the churches that were in Colossae anyway, uh, it's likely that he, he, probably, um, he probably sent the letter first to, to the Colossians and then later realizing, hey, and by the way, 
there's that massive church that I spent three years at right on the same route. Let me go ahead and write a letter to them as well. And he probably kind of gave all of that to a Prophet, and, and he was able to, to bring all of those things to bear along the way. But it's likely that this was written first, and then kind of the more fleshed out subject matter uh, came a little bit later after that. My first point is chosen to dress out. You have been chosen to dress out. Now, dress out, of course, has the incredible psychological scarring for me at good old OTHS. But dress out is also a term of pretty good honor as well. If you're, for example, hoping to make the travel varsity squad of a university football team, if you're especially on a, on a D1 team and there's only a limited number of slots, maybe it's 35, maybe it's 45, some schools have many as 70, but if there's only that limited number of slots, but the coach tells you that, you know what, next game, because of the way that you've been playing, I like the cut of your jib, young man, well, I want you to dress out for that next game. Those are magic words for any young man thinking that they're finally going to be part of the squad, travel with the team. That means that the varsity letter is likely coming his way, that you have been chosen to dress out. And the very fact that you're being called to dress in this way, to dress with patience and humility and kindness, compassion, all of these things, the very fact that even this idea of dressing out in all of those virtues, it comes to you because of this prerequisite. What is the prerequisite? That you're chosen to dress out. Let me read it again in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Amen. Clothe yourselves with everything that we've got here. By now, we should be used to this pattern. Hopefully by now, this starts to pop off of the page. That whenever there's some real discipling to do, Paul begins with first affirming who the Colossians are in Jesus. And it's always qualified strongly and linked inexorably to being in Jesus. Because you are in Jesus, this is who you are. You are chosen. Amen. You are holy. You are dearly loved. I, again, admit to this. The, the, the better you can admit to this, the better you have a chance of being able to take the, the veil away, take off the blinders, and, and recognize that I'm not seeing these words. And for most of my Christian life, I'm not talking pseudo-Christian life where I pretended to be a Christian. I'm talking after I repented, after I was baptized, after being filled with the Spirit, and after living a life of discipleship. Even after all of that, I still did not see these words. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. Ah, well, yeah, 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 that's nice, that's nice. All right, get, come on, let's get to the stuff that I'm supposed to do here. Right? I mean, that, that's weak sauce, right? That's what that, that evangelical guy that, that sits in the coffee, that, that's coffee shop Christianity. You know, let, let, let's move on from that. And guess what? I am the worst for, for having had such disdain for the religious words that are so precious and so dear to us. We all get a number beat down on us by the world. Again and again and again. Maybe it's from your, your upbringing, your parents. I just spent a, a weekend with my family. And uh, <laughs> I suddenly realized, wow, praise God, we're in Christ. And that, that we have so many affirmations that come our way. 
Because apparently there were a pretty good number of beatdowns along the way, verbally, in, in our upbringing. Uh, but to, to recognize that, that, that very fact that, you know what? You, Marcel, are not stuck on the playground. You did not not get picked. You are chosen. The God of the creator of all the universe set his sights on you. And because of his great love with which he loved you, he chose you. He arranged time and place so that you could know the beauty of his love through Jesus Christ and his uh, sacrifice. Amen. His ransoming of you. you. You didn't, I mean, any one of us, if we, if we told the story, we'd get goosebumps again, 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 and again. That you are chosen and God carefully curated human events. Whether it's putting you in a Christian family and having to jiggle a few things away in, in your parents' life so that they would kind of come up against things that would disrupt their keep on keeping on and finally be able to open their eyes and see the love of Jesus. Let it finally melt their hearts until it rearranged all of their life. He did all of that. Maybe it's not even for their parents. Maybe God did all of that so that you, the children of those parents, because God knew that this is going to be your chance to be able to know it. Or, or maybe it just was that God is disrupting your life because you know what? You are a wrecking ball uh, in, in, in his creation and, and better for you to finally you know, kind of have your eyes open. But it's not like only certain people get this opportunity. God gives everybody sufficient conviction to have their eyes open. Praise God that as he brought it your way, that not only were you called, but you were chosen as well. You sit here, not, not as some sort of happenstance, you sit here as a chosen man or woman of God. Amen. You're, you're, you're really special in that regard. But not only are you chosen, but you are a saint. Yes, you are. Holy. Holy, holy is, is, is a sanctified one. That you are holy. Holy doesn't mean, oh, and then you have a hell over your head, and that you're more righteous in everything that you do. Although that has that idea of it. But holy has teeth. And we've mentioned this before. Holy is radical. Holy is consecrated. Holy is set apart. Holy is a prophet bringing it to Nineveh. Holy is a radical call. Holy is that you're not going to live your life of quiet desperation like the mass of humanity shuffling their way through their life. You've had bigger stuff happen to you. You are set apart for a special purpose. Holy connotes not only consecrated, set apart, but holy also denotes that you have significance and what it is that you do with your life. And dearly loved. Just in case you're having a bad day. Raindrops keep falling on my head. But guess what? You are dearly loved. Not just by me, and you are, ding, but also, <laughs> they work. But more importantly, you're dearly loved by Jesus. When the, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Kindness and love of God, our Savior, of Jesus appeared. That's from Titus, what, what Paul writes to Titus. It's, it's a beautiful phrase because it means not only does God consider you and love you, but the phrase also means, and He likes you. Amen. So not only are you dealing, you might think, yeah, of course God's, God's it's His job to uh, love me. You know what, but you know what, I'm, I'm a difficult person. I don't know if you, you know what, he also likes you. 
He likes those idiosyncrasies about you. He likes your uniqueness. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He's excited about what's being shaped in you and what's going to continue to be shaped and to use all of your uniqueness in, in wonderful ways. You go, girl, and all of that kind of oddity that you got going on there. God loves that. Chosen, beloved, holy. And so, given that the fact, you are chosen to dress out. All of this chosenness is not for nothing. What do I do with this? Thank you, Jesus, that, that my life is not some sort of life of mass insignificance. I'm not just kind of kind of make my way through this world and, and have some sort of self-generated vision where I kind of puff myself up. I've got a transcendent vision. I've got a transcendent purpose. I have something that can, can withstand any of the vagaries of this world. This is my life. Jesus, what can I do with this? What would be appropriate response? Having been given such a gift, what would be the appropriate response to give you? And here it is. Dress on out. So my, my second point is, you are what you wear. If you could see my slide, you'd be very impressed right now. But you are what you wear. What we're called to wear Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Also called to forgive, to love, to have peace, and to be thankful in Jesus. These are massive ideas. And, and yet, really wonderful ideas. I think if you asked anybody, what kind of a city would you rather live in? A city that looks like verse 5, 6, and 7? Eight and nine that we just read on Sunday? Or would you rather live in a place that's marked by verses 12 and 13 and 14? And I think I know where I'd rather live. And yet there is no way that a population can actually live this way if not for the empowering of Jesus. And it is that you are reborn of the Holy Spirit. You know what's interesting? It says here, it says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Earlier in, in Ephesians, the parallel statement there says, be filled with the Holy Spirit as you do these things. Because you have been chosen, because you have been literally reborn of water and spirit, because that is your new identity, you have within you what all of the Old Testament prophets longed to be able to experience. And what they all kind of peered at through history, knowing that only through you would their work be made complete. And that through you, they now get to see reborn men and women of the Holy Spirit. Imagine as they peer down the corridors of time to be able to see you and say, wow, this this is what we've all hoped for. To, to actually be reborn of the Holy Spirit and to have from within us a transformation that is constantly stoked by fellowship, by richly dwelling in the Word of God, by admonishing one another, by encouraging one another, by singing to one another, by discipling one another. To have that Holy Spirit stoked with all of those catalysts. And what happens through all of that? You begin to be shaped into the very formation of Jesus himself. Amen. 
That's the great work that is being brought here. And that's the description of what's going on here. Who do you think is being described when it says, put on the clothing of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And he throws a pretty big hint at this point. Oh, and by the way, that forgiveness, in case you're kind of being general with it, it's as Christ forgave you. That's the forgiveness that you're going to be wielding uh, yourself. And then on top of that, go ahead and tie a bow, like on top of that Mercedes in the commercial, of love on, on, on the roof of this whole thing. And make sure there's peace. And on top of that, just be thankful all the time. I, I think I was joking with the guys last week that this is a picture of Christianity. It is a community with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiving, love, peace, thankfulness, where, where we are also singing psalms and hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. We're meant to be living a musical. <laughs> we, we are a life that is a, a theatrical masterpiece because we're all in Christ in such a wondrous and terrific way. That's our life. And the more that we yield our flesh over to the work of the Spirit, the more that we abandon the nasty smallness of selfishness over to this great prodding of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, forgiveness, all of those things, the more that our life really does become this wondrous musical of joy and thankfulness and peace in Jesus Christ. Great effort of admonishing and encouraging of one another, we become more compassionate. And what, what's more beautiful than to be able to see your brother, your sister in Christ in, in some small way begin to look like Jesus? That leper in the beginning of Mark's gospel who perhaps had not touched a human being and was isolated from all of community suddenly encounters Jesus and encounters something that he had never encountered before in his life. Compassion. His life was spent yelling, unclean, unclean, to keep everybody at a safe distance away. As he yelled, Jesus kept coming. Compassion, drawing him closer. And then when he got close enough, he said, hey, if you're willing, make me clean. Jesus in his compassion, I'm willing. But didn't stop there. But in compassion, did something that that man would have remembered forever and ever felt the touch of another human being, touch of love, to see that compassion of Jesus. You know, do we cross over the lines that other people heed? Do we go ahead and make that extra effort of compassion for those that are unapproachable, those that are less lovable? Do we keep going, keep persisting because we're driven by compassion to touch and make a difference in someone's life? I love the, the kindness idea here. It is, it is, again, that idea that we looked at earlier that you have such a divine demeanor that it's, it's this idea of, of, of being confident in your Christianity that you can have... A, a real genuine concern for, for, for other people. But it's, it's seen as a quiet confidence all at the same time. So, so the way that I imagine Jesus walking around as the crowds 
perhaps were even just, just going into all sorts of levels of mayhem, even as he would enter into the temple courts and all the conflict that's going there. And then just to see this kind of sacred solemnity that would kind of be like a, a, a bubble almost around Jesus as he walked around with such sincerity and kindness and, and confidence as he made his way through. You're chosen, you're holy, you're dearly loved. You have every reason to walk around like that. You have every reason not to be swayed by the, the ups and downs of this world, but to, to be able to exercise kindness, to cut through all of the other annoyances of this world because you have Christ being formed in you. Humility we've talked about time and time again. In any of these cities, this would be a word that would have been repugnant to the hearers if they were not reborn of the Holy Spirit. There is no culture, Stoic, Epicurean, Jewish, Gnostic, no culture whatsoever that would hear the words humility and think, ah, yes, what an attractive quality. No, they saw it as abasing, wussy, wimpy, doormat, repulsive to, to any man, self-respecting man. But, but yet, there's our Jesus. There's our Jesus again, turning humility into something that we marvel at now. And then now when we see it in one another, we see it as one of the most beautiful qualities we could ever begin to imagine. Gentleness is a similar idea to kindness, and they're, they're very much connected. I'll leave it there. Uh, but, but of course, then uh, the great idea of patience. And patience is tied to the idea of bearing with one another. Meaning that one another are annoying. That, that somebody in the kind of the thoughtlessness of their day and as close as we are in fellowship and as much as we bump into one another, try to work together, encourage one and even try to like tell one another the truth, which is very difficult. It does require that we have a patience in the midst of that and bear with one another. If somebody has to tell you something and you're more concerned about the way that they said it rather than the content of what they said, well, then you've got five or six steps to go in putting on your clothing as, as one who is chosen, holy, and dearly loved. That you, to, to clothe yourselves in Christ uh, is to, to, to recognize that, you know what, I, I got it. She didn't really understand, I think, the way that she said that, but boy, the kind of the kernel of truth of what she just said there, I better own that to, to really gain the value of what was going on there. And, and now here's the big one right in the middle of this. This is the one that I think floors so many. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I think C.S. Lewis is the one who says this in Mere Christianity. There are a lot of biblical characters that we encounter, of course. Moses, Joseph, David, Daniel, pick them. And none of them is known for one particular quality that is such a hallmark of Jesus. And as great as Moses and Daniel and Abigail, all, all of them are, none of them has this hallmark, this kind of tag that, that is theirs, and that is forgiveness. But you're not a Danielite, you're not a Josephite, you're a Christian. And if that's one of the great central ideas, identifying Jesus, Jesus' forgiveness, now we're called to imitate that with exactitude. Forgive as Jesus forgave you. God has made us in his image. He has bestowed upon us 
love and wonders, unspeakable, and we take it all and, and we use it for our own corrupted, distorted, tortured desires and waste it all in such small-minded, fleshly, indulgent ways. And yet, he says, you know what? I love you so very much. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to step in. I'm going to bear all of the brunt of this. I'm going to go ahead and pay for the, for, for the damages. I'm going to repair this. I'm going to make this better. I am going to go ahead and make this completely slate clean, even though you did it so deliberately and in some cases so thoughtlessly. A deep consideration of what's been given to you. Here you are, just going ahead and exploiting it for your own good. You know what? I'm going to make it all right. But, of course, we know that it takes from Jesus his very humiliation and his death and his blood for, for us to be brought back into, into good stead and to be able to be brought back into this wonderful place. Think the depth to which we have committed cosmic treason against God, the depth to which we have actually gone after idolatry, the depth to which I've gained my identity because I got that job promotion, because I seduced that girl, because I got that grade, because I got into that school, because I own this car, because I have this gadget. Any of those things that suddenly kind of give me my identity and, and make me feel like I've sort of arrived, well, those are, by definition, idols. And I've engaged in idolatry right before a very holy God. I mean, the, the, the pride of my life, the lusts of my life, the lies of my life, unspeakably massive, but yet there's Jesus all the way still, still deciding, wow, I so need to go to the cross for you. I'm all over this because you so dearly need the cross and I so dearly love you. And he hated going to that cross because he hated having to bear your sin, because he hated being humiliated, but yet in the end, he loved you so dearly that he did so. Forgive as Jesus forgave you. Do you have someone in, in your life that is unenlightened, that has said something oafish, stupid, uncomfortable, awkward? Well, well guess what? Forgive as Jesus forgave you. If you have an employee that is thoughtless, forgive, my goodness, forgive as Jesus forgave you. And see the peace that comes from that. Uh, and only then do you know the release. When you really know the depth of absolute, clean slate, full-on forgiveness. But more importantly, you're Christians. Every one of us, we're Christians. The, the thing that should mark us is forgiveness. It's the hallmark of Jesus. And again, as I mentioned earlier, you want to know if, if you're in ever-increasing glory, adding these things to your life. You want to know if you really have forgiven. You want to really know if that slate is clean. You want to know if you've kind of taken delight and compassion. You want to know if you're living your life with the encouragement that you are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Well, then just check your peace meter. Your peace in your heart is an umpire. And, and the minute that there is no peace in your heart because your wife was insensitive and you had expectations you were going to do this and then you didn't do this. Uh, or because your parents are so unfair. I can't believe... The, the, the minute that any of that comes, it is though you have a little referee in your heart blowing a whistle, flag on the play, lack of peace in your heart. That should mean that everything stops. You go to the videotape. You watch what it is that, that, that's, that's going on there. You don't blame it on the other person because you can't 
play the, uh, the puppeteer and, and change that person's life. But you, you change what it is that you get to be able to do and know the peace that really is meant to be yours. And at the end of that, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him.